0: Hello and welcome to Background Briefing, available 24-7 at backgroundbriefing.org. I'm Ian Masters, and today we'll examine a number of stories and issues in the news. We begin with the release of six years of Trump's taxes by the House Ways and Means Committee with summaries today and the full report expected in a few days. Joining us to discuss the highlights of what we have learned so far is Edward McCaffrey, the Robert C. Packard Trustee Chair in Law and a Professor of Law, Economics and Political Science at the University of Southern California. He's the author of Fair Not Flat, How to Make the Tax System Better and Simpler, and the founder of the People's Tax Page. We will discuss how the IRS has failed miserably when it comes to auditing presidents and how the Republicans who resisted turning over Trump's taxes are now even more determined to cut funds from the IRS so that their wealthy donors will not be subject to audits. Then we'll assess today's visit of Ukraine's President Zelensky to the White House and the press conference that followed his long meeting with Biden. Joining us is Anders Asland, a senior fellow at the Stockholm Free World Forum, a professor at the Center for Eurasian, Russian and East European Studies at Georgetown University and a former senior fellow at the Atlantic Council. A member of the Russian Academy of Natural Sciences, he worked as a Swedish diplomat in Moscow and served as an economic advisor to the governments of Russia and Ukraine. His books include Ukraine, What Went Wrong and How to Fix It and Russia's Crony Capitalism, The Path from Market Economy to Kleptocracy. Then finally, with Fox News' Tucker Carlson, Putin's greatest supporter and propagandist in the United States, We will assess how much he can influence the radical-right Republicans in the House to cut aid for Ukraine and examine Carlson's own words in a recent interview he did with Tulsi Gabbard, in which he claimed a prominent Republican congressman accused him of being a Russian agent, saying that he was told intelligence briefers had all kinds of corroborating evidence that Carlson was a Russian agent. Joining us is Robert Baer, one of the most accomplished agents in CIA history and the winner of the Career Intelligence Medal. He's the author of four New York Times bestsellers, including Sleeping with the Devil, How Washington Sold Our Soul for Saudi Crude. He's considered one of the world's foremost authorities on the Middle East and is an intelligence and national security affairs analyst for CNN. His latest book is The Fourth Man, The Hunt for a KGB Spy at the Top of the CIA, and The Rise of Putin's Russia. We're going to take a brief station break and back with an assessment of today's visit of Ukraine's President Zelensky to the White House and the press conference that followed. We can take a brief station break and back examining Tucker Carlson's own words in an interview he did with Tulsi Gabbard in which he claimed a prominent Republican congressman accused him of being a Russian agent, saying that he was told intelligence briefers had all kinds of corroborating evidence that Carlson was a Russian agent. And joining us now is Edward McCaffrey, the Robert C. Packard Trustee Chair in Law and a Professor of Law, Economics and Political Science at the University of Southern California. He's the author of Fair Not Flat, How to Make the Tax System Better and Simpler, and the founder of the People's Tax Page. Welcome to Background Briefing, Edward McCaffrey.
1: Always nice to be here, Ian, and happy holidays to you and your listeners.
0: Well, thanks, Ed. And we just have gotten a summary of the House Ways and Means Committee's receipt of Trump's tax returns, which they voted on to make public over a lot of objections from Republicans on the committee. However, they just released a summary of the first three years in the White House of Trump's presidency in which he paid $1.1 million in federal taxes before paying zero in 2020. I take it they released those pages based upon the reason why they went after the tax returns, which is to get an idea of whether the IRS is properly auditing presidents. And it looks as if the IRS doesn't come across pretty well in this. It looks like they dropped the ball. What do, what's your impression?
1: Oh, 100 percent, righty. And And, you know, it is kind of a ghost of Christmas, past, present, and future that we're sitting here talking about these tax returns that Trump has stonewalled uh, for years and years. And we finally have the rulings from the Supreme Court that he had to disclose them to the House Ways and Means uh, Committee. There are two reports that the committee actually uh, issued, and you alluded to both of them, Ian. Uh, The one about his taxes over the last six years, going back to 2015, from 2015 to 2020, You're absolutely right. We're back to Trump normal by 2020, and he's paying no income taxes. But the report does show that he paid taxes in 2018 and 2019. So that's the dog that is barking. I think that raises some questions, which we can talk about here in a minute. But the second report was on the IRS auditing procedure. The the IRS has had since 1977. Uh, I think you and I were were in the crib then. but uh, uh, A while back, 1977, post Watergate, post Nixon reforms, the IRS has had a provision, a policy written down in their manual that they will annually audit. There's a mandatory annual audit of the president and vice president. And we find out that the Trump IRS was just not doing that. They didn't do it until the Democrats took over Congress and uh, House Chairman, uh, uh, House Ways and Means Chairman Richard Neal sends a letter over in April 2019 saying, what's up with the mandatory audits? And the answer from the IRS is, well, we haven't done them. We haven't started them. We haven't done them uh, And then you see in the report on the IRS, not just dropping the ball, but complaining about how long the tax returns are. They don't have the people who can audit. They don't have the IRS does not have the resources, was claiming not to have the resources to audit the president of the United States. So that's a pretty stunning story. And it wasn't they they still they, they only finished one of the audits while Trump was president. And then they're kind of, you know, like a bad student, um, you know, handing in late exams by a year or two and they're just wrapping it up. So way big dropping of the ball, the IRS not following its mandatory policies and simply not auditing uh, Trump until they were kicked and prodded by Democrats in power wouldn't have done it uh, if the Democrats never came to power.
0: And I mentioned, uh, Ed, that the Republicans on the House Ways and Means Committee complained about releasing these tax returns to the public, and they've also vowed to cut the $82 billion that Biden got in the uh, uh, the IRA package to boost the ability of the IRS to do audits. So that I, I just find almost treasonous. I mean, what... <laughs> Why would you not want the government to collect revenues?
1: Well, there's one reason, uh, Ian, and you have, as usual, a good eye for irony. So 100% right that the IRS does not like, or, or I'm sorry, the Republicans are complaining about the disclosure of Trump's tax returns, whereas Trump is in a category of one in terms of being a president or a candidate for president who has not voluntarily disclose his tax returns. Um, So that's a very weak argument. And then again, the continued Republican resistance to funding, better funding of the IRS, and in particular funding of the IRS to conduct audits, more audits and better audits of rich people. The IRS does audit poor people like you and me. Uh, They do they do audit people, very low income people who are claiming the earned income tax credit. They don't audit the rich people. And even though they had a mandatory requirement, they should have been auditing Trump. They were not. So to your very precise question of who is it that doesn't like it when the IRS collects revenue, well, the obvious answer is those people from whom the IRS would be collecting the revenue. What we're seeing is they're squeezing the middle class people. We have nowhere to hide. They've got our W-2s. They've got all the information on us. They're not even auditing. The super rich people who are paying no taxes. So that's a that's a pretty stunning story that that transcends normal irony in politics. And I don't know if it rises to the treasonous level that you referred to, but it's pretty outrageous. It's it's Republicans just doubling down on a policy of letting wealthy Americans get away with paying no taxes.
0: Well, the implication is that these Congress people and senators are whores and hirelings of the plutocrats, whose bidding they're doing, at least that seems to jump out at me. eh? But let's talk a little bit about what the Ways and Means Committee is now promising in a few days to issue a more comprehensive report on the six years of Trump's taxes. They have to go through and redact private information like social security numbers, etc. So the expectation, and some of the members on the committee have even said this, the concern is, and it's an obvious one, that the United States government needs to know whether the president of the United States, in the form of Donald Trump, is is beholden to foreign leaders because of deals that he's made, and we know he made some some deals that look pretty shady early on, uh, with the Chinese banks helping him out in Indonesia. There's so much reporting and and, and uh, suggestions from. FBI counterintelligence, that Trump has been laundering Russian money forever in the 80s. And when he owned the casinos in Atlantic City and his properties, Russian uh, gangsters bought enormous numbers, 3,200 condos in his properties. So there's a suspicion that he's, he's been receiving money from Russia and that maybe Russian oligarchs uh, co-signed the loans through Deutsche Bank or guaranteed them. And then the possibility also that he's received money from Saudi Arabia, where his son-in-law Jared Kushner and his former Treasury Secretary Mnuchin both were gifted. In the case of uh, Jared Kushner, he got over two billion from the Saudis, against the advice of the Saudi sovereign wealth fund, and also Mnuchin got over a, a billion as well. So all that stuff has to be brought out into the open. Do you think we're going to learn anything about? The extent to which Trump might be beholden to foreign dictators.
1: Well, one thing, just to to amplify your question a little bit, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily just foreign dictators. I mean, there, you know, there are plenty of people who would have, whether they're foreign countries or not, who would have an interest in, you know, currying favor. We we see that in the FTX uh, scandal, and and it, it doesn't have to be Saudi Arabia or Russia who's the nefarious actor here. Uh, in terms of what's coming out, they did release again the two reports. The one on the IRS, just you would call it malfeasance, but it's really kind of nonfeasance, just a stunning uh, dereliction of duty by the IRS. And then the second report, pretty detailed, in which we get kind of a summary of the top line numbers. And now we're waiting for the thousands of pages. Over these six years, all the returns, some organizational returns, the supplements, the working files. So that's going to be a massive data dump that will keep accountants busy over over the holiday season. Not sure that we're going to see, you know, screaming headlines. You know, we're not going to see checks from Vladimir Putin uh, on the tax returns. We've, We've the New York Times has had access to these returns. We've seen them whether there is a big, huge smoking gun. But having said that, you know, just looking at the summary and the top line numbers, the thing that stands out, it's the dog that is barking, is, okay. so Trump, if we look at these years, in 2016, he pays $750. In 2017, he pays $750. By 2020, he's back to paying nothing. So almost any of our listeners would be happy with that. In the year 2018, he paid a million dollars in taxes. That's the outlier. The question is, why did he pay taxes? The answer is he had major capital gains sales. He sold over $20 million, or he had more than $20 million in gain from the sale of his properties. So then the question is, well, why did he sell his properties? Rich people don't have to sell their properties. They can play what I call tax planning 101, buy, borrow, die. They can let the assets continue to appreciate until they, uh, uh, until they die, and then their heirs can sell them. So why did Trump, who hates to pay taxes, who never pays taxes, who goes decades without paying taxes, why did he pay A million dollars in taxes when he was president the answer is because he sold properties to me the question is why did he sell properties Uh, didn't have to do it could have held on to them could have avoided the taxes so the answer seems to be twofold one he didn't have access to loans the loans were drying up he needed to get money he's he's a big spender even when he was president Maintaining Mar-a-Lago, lots of other expenses. And two, he got a good price. People were willing to pay him so much for his properties when he was president that he ended up paying tax and he got so much money from the sale that he still made out even after paying the tax. That's that's what it looks to me like what happened. And then the question is, well, who is who is making large purchases? from the president of the United States while he's the president of the United States. Little difficult to believe that Trump wasn't intimately aware of his assets that are being sold off, even if there's a blind trust. So I I, I think there, there are questions about Trump's monetizing of the presidency. And I don't know if those questions are going to be answered in tiny little details. But there's some big picture questions like why does a person who never pays tax suddenly pay tax when he's the president? Why does a person who typically does not show large capital gains suddenly show large capital gains when he's president? And is the nefarious influence coming not by money laundering, but by overpaying for assets as a way to curry favor?
0: Well, the other thing that just in the last couple of minutes, Ed McAfee, that comes up as a red flag to me is that this new tax data that the House Ways and Means Committee just released in these summaries indicates that while Trump was in the White House, he made charitable donations in cash. I mean, who makes charitable donations in cash? And apparently there were substantial amounts, you know.
1: Well, he was forced to do it. That—that's his. Uh, he wasn't going to keep his salary. In—in in some of those years, the only salary, like by 2020, he's showing income from wages of about under 400 thousand. So presumably, uh, let me turn that off. Presumably, that's his 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 salary as president. And then, if you may recall, uh, he had said at some point because he's so rich, of course that he didn't even need his salary, he, he would donate it, and then he seemed to hem and haw about donating it until he got guilted into it. And there was a procedure, I think, every quarter he gave like 100000 or something away. Some of the other charitable contributions come from an easement, uh, which is not in cash, and that's probably overvalued. But the cash contributions were the public relations issue of his having stated repeatedly that he wouldn't keep his salary, and then he made a big show of giving his salary away.
0: So just in closing, though, Ed McCaffrey, not that we've seen the full report yet, and we've seen, we'll see it in a couple of days, and I brought up the influence of foreign leaders or dictators because one of the members of the House Ways and Means Committee from New Jersey has suggested that that's what they're interested in finding out about. But the one thing that I think is clear isn't that, Ed, is that Trump is no billionaire, right? He's a phony billionaire. He...
1: <laughs> well, what's completely clear, it's a little hard to get a sense of net worth from, um, you know, tax returns. You you wouldn't think that uh, Elon Musk used to be the richest man in the world from just looking at his tax returns. You'd you, You'd have to know that he owned a lot of Tesla stock, which wasn't paying a dividend. What's abundantly clear from you know decades now of reporting on Trump, his finances and his tax returns, is that he's a terrible business person. His, his operating businesses, the resorts, the golf clubs, lose truckloads of money. The number one reason he's paying little or no taxes in most years is he's actually flat out losing money the expenses from his golf clubs are greater than the income from his golf clubs so definitely raises questions about his net worth and whether he's a billionaire but kind of abundantly well demonstrates you go back through 30 years of these tax returns and the big the the start was when he got money from his dad fred trump as a tax free loan as a tax free inheritance he starts with that He loses a lot of that. He loses a truckload during the casino phase, and the actual losing of money gives him tax losses. And then he gets some money from The Apprentice, and the losses from his real businesses kind of offset that. And now he's somehow cobbled this thing going of overvalued, you know, trophy, quote unquote, Trump trophy properties, and highly leveraged. Uh, and apparently he started to sell off some of the empire, which is the unusual move. So major questions about his net worth, no questions about his, his business success. He's a bad businessman, but the, the Trump businesses lose money.
0: So much for the art of the deal. So I thank you, Ed McCaffrey. I appreciate it very much.
1: Yeah, not all art is good, right? <laughs> but uh, happy holidays again. Always my pleasure. And, um, my guess is we'll be talking about Trump's taxes in the new year and beyond.
0: Well, again, I thank you, uh, Ed McAfee, and Robert C. Packard, Trustee Chair in Law and a Professor of Law, Economics and Political Science at the University of Southern California. He's the author of Fair Not Flat How to Make the Tax System Better and Simpler, and the founder of the People's Tax Page. IQ.
2: Who's behind this operation? I'll tell you why. Nobody Is It's not an idle rumor. No scandal talk. All of the puppets are washed through. Curacao, Panama New York. Offshore banking international crime. Offshore <laughs>
0: And joining us now is Anders Aslan, a senior fellow at the Stockholm Free World Forum, a professor at the Center of Eurasian, Russian, and East European Studies at Georgetown University, and a former senior fellow at the Atlantic Council. A member of the Russian Academy of Natural Sciences. He worked in, as a Swedish diplomat in Moscow and serves as an economic advisor to the governments of Russia and Ukraine. His books include Ukraine, What Went Wrong and How to Fix It, and Russia's Current Capitalism, The Path from Market Economy to Kleptocracy. Welcome to Background Briefing, Anders Aslund.
3: Thank you very much, Ian.
0: Thank you for joining us, Anderson. the press conference today, after the long meeting in the White House between President Zelensky and President Biden was, I think, impressive in in a, in a curious way that you had basically Joe Biden, who's not the world's greatest public speaker, speaking next to a stand-up comedian, and Biden actually had some pretty good one-liners and got a lot of laughs. But that aside, what did you take away from the press conference?
3: Well, two major things. The first is that they were very, uh, very, uh, feeling very well together. So you felt that uh, there was no serious uh, dis- disagreement. The other was that I was uh, surprised how cautious Biden was. And uh, while uh, Zelensky was very hard hitting, What I mean by this is that uh, Biden said that Ukraine uh, must defend itself and we will impose costs on the Kremlin. But he did not say that Ukraine has to win, which I would have liked to see, and that Russia has to be uh, defeated. While uh, Zelensky was uh, quite unmitigated in in, uh, stating what... uh, uh, they wanted to do. Well, he was careful not to uh, use uh, the, the ordinary, now ordinary uh, Ukrainian words for the Russians. They are normally called uh, the orcs.
0: Right. I believe that one of the descriptions is racist, isn't it? A play of words on fascists.
3: Yeah, that's another one. Zelensky uh, right. normally doesn't use that. Mm.
0: Right. So, what is the reason for the caution on? Biden's part, I mean, leaving open the possibility of not pushing Russia to the wall, I guess, and maybe having some hopes of a negotiation, although there were questions about that, and nobody has any illusions, including Biden, that that's going to happen soon. Is he being cautious? Because obviously Zelensky is going to be speaking soon to the joint session of Congress. Is Biden worried, do you think, Anders, that the new Republican House is going to start cutting funds?
3: No, I think that uh, Biden's caution was entirely on foreign policy. And I think it comes very much from the National Security Advisor, uh, Jake Sullivan, who's uh, very eloquent, but he is always afraid of uh, provoking uh, Putin. And he's afraid of... uh, Third World War, and he's afraid of uh, Putin turning to nuclear arms. I don't think that Biden is that afraid of it. And I don't think that uh, Secretary of State Blinken is at all afraid of it. But uh, this is the difference. These are the three main policy makers on uh, Russia and uh, Ukraine now. And it appears that uh, Sullivan is uh, the dominant one, and he's very cautious. Uh, surprisingly much in line with uh, uh, the Germans and uh, the President Macron of uh, France.
0: But he's been that way all along. There's been a, obviously, bifurcation in the advice that Biden's getting between Secretary of State Blinken and, as you say, the National Security Advisor, who's always been cautious. And that explains why I think the U.S. was slow in arming Ukraine, It looks as if at least Blinken has prevailed in the sense that the US and the rest of NATO seems to have woken up. Maybe it's because the Ukrainians are doing so well. What what do you think changed there? Because remember, in the early days, they were very cautious and they they didn't want to give the MiG-29s that Poland wanted to send, etc. What happened, do you think?
3: Well, uh, generally, they have uh, realized that the Ukrainians are doing very well. In the beginning, uh, the U.S. was afraid that Ukraine would just be overrun and that all the arms that they would have given Ukraine would be taken over by, by the Russians to great benefit to the Russians. And now we know that that is not the case. Uh, Instead, there is a caution that uh, the U.S. does not allow Ukraine to attack uh, uh, Ukrainians to attack uh, the, the Russian bases. From which they are being attacked, so the u s is essentially insisting on the ukrainians uh, 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 fighting with one arm bound uh, to, to the back. I can find no justification for that uh, uh, President Zelensky was very uh, careful not to to complain about it. But uh, we we can see what President Biden said. He said, stand up to the bullies, stand up for freedom. Well, that doesn't mean defeat the Russians. It doesn't mean defeat the the bully. And he very much emphasized defensive weapons. Therefore, now the Patriot missiles, which is an air defense system, are possible, but not uh, Uh, F-16s, not uh, battle tanks, uh, not uh, long-range missiles. So this is an increasing uh, 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 disparity in the discussion.
0: But Jake Sullivan being cautious not to upset Putin and being afraid of a nuclear war breaking out, hasn't he been listening to what Putin's been saying? I mean, what can you do with a man who makes these nuclear threats and is now suggesting that Russia will forgo any first use of nuclear weapons doctrine because Putin believes that the United States is preparing for a disarming first strike, which was part of Cold War nuclear gaming, where the idea is you'd launch a massive counter-strike at all of the Soviet missile batteries and, and submarines and aircraft and knock them all out in a first strike so that they don't have a second strike capability. That was always a total fantasy and one that would end up with massive ecological damage to the planet with hundreds of nuclear weapons going off. Yet Putin somehow believes that that is on the table, that is the United States' priority. Why doesn't Sullivan at least tell Putin that that's absolute nonsense instead of being afraid of Putin's nuclear ramblings?
3: I think that Putin understands very well that this is absolute nonsense. He would not survive a nuclear attack of any kind. It's not a question if it's a small or a big or strategic one. uh, He would not survive it. And he understands it. The problem is that uh, uh, it it looks as if uh, Jake Sullivan doesn't understand it. And a lot of uh, this a uh, nuclear disarmament community that uh, I encounter here in Washington don't believe it. They think that uh, the risk of nuclear war is uh, horrendous. These are the people who uh, were in the anti-nuclear protest movements uh, in the early 1980s. And they have not developed intellectually since then. All the nuclear arms have not been usable since that time. Putin, I think, understands that he cannot use nuclear arms. And it's time for Washington to understand that uh, that is actually the case. Not only what Putin thinks, but this is the actual case. But Putin has already lost this war. And
0: I spoke yesterday to Michael Kimmage, who was an... the head of the Russian-Ukraine desk at the State Department's Office of Policy Planning. And he's got a piece in Foreign Affairs basically saying that, you know, it's all over for Putin. And then the question is the perils and promise of a Russian defeat. So that should be Sullivan's focus. It's already defeated. So the question is what happens to Putin, doesn't it? And as he mobilizes again... He didn't want to mobilize in the first place. He obviously knew that there would be a backlash amongst the Russian people who have been incredibly passive and are subjected to massive propaganda. But if they escalate to the kind of mobilization that the Russian Ministry of Defense is talking about, isn't Putin likely to have even greater resistance from the Russian people? Aren't they likely to wake up at some point?
3: It's very unclear, Ian. I, I, I talked to an intelligence Russian from a big provincial uh, town uh, yesterday. And what she described was uh, Russians uh, are being mobilized all the time uh, and they are being sent uh, uh, to the field. Most of the mobilization takes place during the weekends when they are not being prepared. And mobilization in Russia today, it's really really like being arrested. And it's not only young people, it's men in the 40s and 50s. And it's not only men, it's also physicians who are being sent to the to the front. So this is quite ruthless. And we don't have any transparency in this uh, process. So Putin seems to be uh, uh, going for break, but he realizes that nuclear arms is not a a good choice. Instead, he's sending ever more people to be uh, used as uh, cannon fodder. What the Ukrainians now report is that almost 100,000 Russian soldiers have been killed. And uh, uh, you can deduct a bit of it, and perhaps it's uh, 30% less, but say 70,000 Russian soldiers killed, that's an enormous uh, number. And then you add uh, at, at least twice as many uh, injured soldiers. I'm saying uh, only twice as many normally one counts at uh, uh, three times. But the Russians let a lot uh, of their soldiers um, uh, bleed to death uh, on the battlefield because they don't uh, take care of uh, their injured uh, soldiers. And then we are discussing more than 200,000 Uh, killed uh, uh, casualties, uh, uh, that's an enormous uh, number and Putin doesn't care. He just pumps out more people as long as they don't revolt and uh, shockingly they don't revolt. Right, but that's my
0: question and it's given that they are being slaughtered and that they are being sent as cannon fodder, they know it, morale is rock bottom. The Russian military is so corrupt that the equipment is not being supplied, particularly in in the winter. Whereas the the Ukrainians are getting top of the line Canadian winter Arctic gear. I mean, at what point does the word get out to the Russian people of the horrors of what's going on, the futility of it all? And and even though they're able to cover up all the coffins coming home, at some point you would think that the propaganda war would break down.
3: Yeah, it's uh, shocking. I get uh, reports from uh, two Swedish volunteer soldiers who are fighting on the, uh, for the Ukrainians, of course, uh, in uh, Donbass. And they are currently in uh, Bakhmut. And what they report I read their report. I don't talk to them. It's just uh, shocking. They're reporting how the Russians are sending ever more soldiers. They say that the best so Russian soldiers are actually very good, but they are few, and then there are lots of newly mobilized uh, uh, soldiers, uh, ten times more or, or so, and they are just uh, slaughtered. And if they don't move ahead fast enough, then yeah, there are. Uh, uh, Kadyrov's uh, Chechen soldiers are shooting them from behind, as NKVD, uh, the, uh, the Stalin's uh, secret police they, they did during World War II, and they are moving forward. So uh, my Swedish uh, contacts then uh, explain how the uh, corpses are lying two meter high because these poor immobilized soldiers are just climbing up because they are more afraid to be shot from behind than from the front. And the Ukrainians are just easily shooting them down with uh, 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 automatic guns. Well, that is
0: just hideous, isn't it? And I just don't know how long that can keep up. Again, I go back to the same question. Is Russia a society that's been lobotomized, by propaganda and lies? Is there still free thought? I know the smart, talented people and the young who avoided the draft have left the country, but is all that's left in Russia these crazy nationalists like Prigozhin and Igor Gherkin and
3: these horrible people? No, but uh, people are afraid. They don't see that they can achieve anything at all. Uh, the last number I saw is that 17,000 people have been arrested for protests against war in Russia. Uh, the day before yesterday, I talked to a couple who uh, had fled uh, Moscow in time uh, after uh, one of the couple in the couple had been uh, been arrested. There was nothing more that they they could do. They will apply for political asylum here in the United States now, and about one million people have left Russia this year, probably permanently. And you can say this is one and a half percent of a labor force that will hit the economy a bit, but Putin doesn't care. It doesn't care about GDP, and he doesn't care about the welfare of the, the population. And uh, Putin's system of repression is extremely well informed. Whenever somebody does something that he doesn't like, uh, he gets informed, or his uh, the secret police, B F S B, and then either they're being repressed, talked to, or they are being forced to, to, to leave the country, increasingly they're forced to leave the country. So most of my Russian friends are being forced to leave the country. So just in closing, back to the
0: Congress where the President Zelensky is addressing this evening as we go to air, and is, is the pro-Putin caucus in the House significant? I mean, the, obviously the most powerful voice in support of Putin is Fox News' Tucker Carlson. And we'll be talking about that in the next segment. But what, I mean, obviously, the reason that Biden invited him to the United States, to the White House, and the Pelosi's asked him to speak to a joint session is because he's a great salesman. And that's what they're trying to do tonight. So what kind
3: of resistance is there to Zelensky? Yeah, let me turn this in in another fashion this is a great victory of Biden. He shows that this is one of the greatest things he has done in his presidency. And there are some odd Republicans are against it. So uh, he will simply expose them. And it's all the better that uh, two, uh, sorry, three quarters of uh, the Republican senators are strongly in favor of Ukraine, led by Mitch McConnell, who makes no bones about stating it. And Kevin McCarthy looks all the more shaky because he needs uh, the support of these uh, currently uh, one quarter of a Republican congressman who listen to uh, to Trump. So so, uh, you can say, uh, an indirect effect of this is that Biden very successfully undermines Kevin McCarthy.
0: Well, Anders Asseln, I thank you very much for joining us here today.
3: Thank you as so always, Ian.
0: And again, i have be speaking with Anders Asseln, who's a senior fellow at the Stockholm Free World Forum, a professor at the Center for Eurasian, Russian, and East European Studies at Georgetown University, and a former senior fellow at the Atlantic Council. A member of the Russian Academy of Natural Sciences. He worked as a Swedish diplomat in Moscow and served as an economic advisor to the governments of Russia and Ukraine. And his books include Ukraine, What Went Wrong and How to Fix It, and Russia's Crony Capitalism The Path from Market Economy to Kleptocracy. Welcome back. I'm Ian Masters, and this is Background Briefing, available 24-7 at backgroundbriefing.org. And joining us now is Robert Baer, one of the most accomplished agents in CIA history and the winner of the Career Intelligence Medal. He's the author of four New York Times bestsellers, including Sleeping with the Devil, Our Washington Sold, Our Soul for Saudi Crude. He's considered one of the world's foremost authorities on the Middle East and is an intelligence and national security affairs analyst for CNN. His latest book is The Fourth Man, The Hunt for a KGB Spy at the Top of the CIA, and the rise of Putin's Russia. Welcome to Background Briefing, Robert Baer. Thanks. Well, thanks for joining us, uh, Bob. And Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, had a press conference today with Biden, and, and is addressing the a joint session of Congress tonight. And of course, the reason I think that Biden invited him over here was to shore up the Congress, and, and in the hope that they'll pass the forty-five billion dollar package in the NDAA vote and there is some resistance in the House expressed by Kevin McCarthy, who said the new Republican House is not going to give a blank check to Ukraine. But the most prominent voice in the pro-Putin caucus, if you will, here in the United States is Fox News' Tucker Carlson. So how influential do you think he is? He certainly has influence over the House Republicans, does
4: he not? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the whole... Right wing is influenced by him. I mean, people tune in to Fox, listen to Tucker Carlson. It just sort of feeds all their biases and prejudices. And, you know, um, it's the same Trump line is that we don't get anything out of NATO. We don't get anything out of places like Ukraine. Why get involved? It's going to lead to a nuclear war. Uh, Ukrainians can't win, possibly win, um, and and for them, Putin is their natural ally. I mean, you you see this shading over into Russia today, to uh, you know various right wing blogs. Um, you, I don't need to name them, but I keep on hearing these things over and over again. It's the same arguments. That Putin's never going to run out of missiles. He's going to flatten Ukraine. It's a, it's a wasted. Conflict. Uh, the weapons are all being stolen. You know, they're they're for sale on the on the net. It's just crazy stuff like that. It's it's pure Russian propaganda because it's exactly what Putin wants: is the Republican Congress to cut aid, and then he's got a chance of taking Ukraine and God knows what else from there.
0: So let's talk about the influence of Tucker Carlson, and and more importantly. What influences him? Why is this son of a rich man who Carlson's father ran Swanson's frozen food company, and then his mother was also very wealthy, and then his father then remarried another wealthy woman? So this guy comes from a lot of money. So he can't be doing this for money. So your prior employer, the CIA, have this acronym for what why people spy for the CIA or for the KGB, for that matter. MICE, M-I-C-E, money, ideology, compromise, and ego. Which of, the, of those four do you think applies to Tucker Carlson in terms of being Putin's number one spokesperson here in the United States?
4: Oh, I think it's almost definitely ideology. His, his views of the world aligned with Putin's, um, it just is in the, you know, the 20s and 30s, the left allied with, with the Russians, with the Soviet Union and, and Stalin. A lot of those people that ended up working for the KGB were, were ideologues and their whole family and all the spy networks at Los Alamos and in the military, at the State Department, and even the White House, they looked at Russia as, as sort of their natural ally. Um, And I I think we're seeing the same thing, only it's it's the right now is, you know, and and so much of it is based on this subtle racism. Uh, And they look at Putin as a religious figure, almost trying to revive, you know, a Christian Russia, um, holding off the the Tartar hordes and crazy stuff like this. I mean, it's just not factual, but it's just it's emotional. So, you know, Tucker Carlson is going on about the border, uh, about what a great job Musk is doing with, with Twitter, um, and, and it's all part and parcel of the same package, and they don't really distinguish. I mean, when, when, the, when these cities are being bombarded and civilians are being massacred and tortured, um, they just don't see it. They've got blinders on. And they also... They also have have characterized, this is pure Russian propaganda, uh, the Ukrainians as Nazis. So
0: let's talk then about what Tucker Carlson himself said recently, in fact, a week ago, Tuesday, on the podcast of Tulsi Gabbards, where he made the most amazing statements about, first of all, and I'm, I'm literally quoting Tucker Carlson talking about himself, he said that he had tried to interview a Russian president, Vladimir Putin, and he felt that the NSA prevented him from doing that. And then he went on to say there are members of Congress who are controlled by the intelligence agencies. I'm not speculating on this. I know. I lived in Washington, D.C. for 35 years. I know this, Carlson insisted. And then he went on to say that a very high-ranking member of the House Intelligence Committee told him after drinking that NSA spies on the lawmakers' text messages, and then Carlson went on to recount he had an angry exchange with Representative Michael McCall, Republican of Texas, who's on the... I think he's the, he'll be the chair of the Foreign Affairs Committee, who accused him of being a Russian agent on the basis of information provided by the congressman's intelligence briefers. And then Carlson says, and I got into an argument with him uh, once last year on the phone. He had told somebody that I was a Russian agent. And I was outraged. And then he said, I really made some, I <laughs> used some bad language. And then McCall, when confronted, said, That's what the intel briefers told me, that you're working with the Russians. And then Carlson shot back, That's what the intel briefers told you? You believe your effing intel briefers? Like, how old are you, son? You're being manipulated by your intel briefers. Duh. And then he went on to say, I'm an American and all this ridiculous uh, patriotic defense. But McCall, the congressman, then told Carlson that the intelligence officials had, quote, all kinds of corroborating evidence proving that the Fox News host Tucker Carlson was a Russian agent. So it's extraordinary that Carlson would tell this story and open up this possibility which may be a real possibility. You know, Trump does that as well. Often guilty people (laughs) inadvertently bring up issues that indicate that maybe they're guilty.
4: What you do in a case like that is if you're taking direction from Moscow, and what no doubt has happened is the National Security Agency has intercepted texts and phone calls to the Kremlin who's giving him instructions, saying this is the important issue, whatever it may be on Ukraine. Of course, that's what they're focused on. So it just, it just it, 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 they, they can see direction coming from Moscow. They're not listening to Tucker Carlson's phone calls in the United States or Fox or, you know, with Murdoch or the rest of that. No, that's not happening. It's, it's the communications with a foreign government. And by the way, um, when I was in the CIA, I have seen communications between journalists, prominent journalists, taking direction, and even being helped in property deals um, with a foreign government, a hostile government. So this isn't the first time that somebody in the press has, has cut a deal with a, with a foreign country. But the fact that uh, McCall was briefed, you just don't do this. You don't take somebody like Tucker Carlson, a celebrity, brief them unless you have a smoking gun. I've heard independently. I've seen this article. Independently, somebody who'd been uh, very high in the, in the intelligence community, Tucker Carlson, came up and said, oh, he's a Russian agent." Now, I wasn't in a position to ask him why he thinks that, so I can only speculate that, that Tucker Carlson is just taking orders from Moscow. That doesn't mean he takes money. It doesn't mean he he passes documents. It, it is not a violation of the Espionage Act to do the bidding of a foreign government in terms of, of, of propaganda. It's just not. I mean, RT, and you go right down Butnik and all the rest of them, that were these people, my former colleagues that work for these Russian groups, it's pure propaganda, and they don't mind, and they take Russian money, in, this, in the cases of the, my former colleagues. You mean um, Phil Giraldi sort
0: of, and people like that? V- 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 yeah, veteran yeah, intelligence I mean, professionals society sanity?
4: Yeah, and... and you know, it's crazy. You, you you can't ally with a government that we're about ready to go to war with. We're, it's all, you know, we are at war, essentially, with Russia. So to ally with Moscow is just sort of unheard of, or should be unheard of. But th- this is what's going on. But the fact that Tucker Carlson has come out and, and had been told that he's considered a Russian agent is very, very indicative of This man's loyalties is not with Washington, D.C. or our government.
0: Well, again, when I was saying earlier that it seems like in many ways guilty people sometimes admit to stuff and project it onto others, in the interview that Tucker Carlson did a week ago Tuesday with Tulsi Gabbard on her podcast, towards the end, Carlson said that a lot of members of Congress are manipulated by the intelligence agency and they go along with it out of fear that their own vulnerabilities may be exposed. Quote, they know they're being manipulated and there's are pressure points that can be applied on people. I mean, let's just be totally honest. I'm not accusing anyone of anything specifically, but if you have a drinking problem or you're not, you have a complicated personal life and a lot of people do, particularly in DC, you're vulnerable. So, <laughs> a lot of people in Washington that I know have told me that Tucker Carlson as a drinking problem. So is he talking about himself or is he talking about, you said earlier that of the MICE, no. you know, he's not, it's more likely ideology. But what about compromise? What about compromise? Could the Russians have something on
4: him? Could the Russians, yes, but we haven't seen anything, no. That's the problem. He all sorts of compromise. There could be financial dealings with, with Russian entities, with oligarchs, for instance, I just haven't seen anything, you know, and you you can't accuse them of that, Um, you know, and and as a matter of control, you know, it's ideology, you just you need suggestions. You don't need to control anybody. You don't write them an email and say, do this, do that. Um, The the Russians just pick out because what they're doing is they're very adept at this. They're going through Congress and they're figuring out which Republicans are going to cut aid. Ukraine. So when he gets on TV, he's uh, effectively, uh, uh, you know, appealing to those Republicans, whether it's Jim Jordan or whoever. And uh, this is what's going to save Putin is is if we, you know, cut back aid or cut it all together um, or force a, uh, some sort of truce on Zelensky, which does not benefit. The Ukrainians. Uh, either way, I mean, th- this this January, Congress e- e- the new the new Congress comes to power, you're going to see a huge, horrendous fight. And I think they they have the ability to cut aid to Ukraine, and and they might do it. Um, because what we're talking about is is propaganda, and the propaganda is these weapons are being they're not going to the defense of Ukraine; they're being sold, and that that. That Ukraine is a corrupt fascist state, which is pure Russian propaganda. And any, you know, going after Pravi Sektor, this militia, this right wing group, and, you know, even though a couple of those people were clearly, you know, in, in a joking way wearing Nazi insignia, but in general, this is a nationalist fight for the sovereignty of Ukraine. But anyhow, these subtle messages on an electorate that doesn't understand the the fight or what's going on can be manipulated. But going back to the manipulation of congressmen, this goes back to this craziness about the deep state. That would mean that the CIA and the FBI director would be sit down and say, all right, we got to manipulate these congressmen with with, you know, intelligence. Selective intelligence, which is going to change their opinion. and I've never seen anybody in the intelligence community community, uh, have those uh, power aspirations that they're accusing the CIA and the FBI have. Just doesn't exist. First of all, the FBI doesn't can't even handle political intelligence, and especially foreign political intelligence. As for the CIA, it's just they're, they're bureaucrats. They, you know, they say, all right, they sit around and they parse these, these intercepts of, you know, Tucker Carlson or whatever they're with Moscow and they have to pick them up because if intercepts, you're going to the Kremlin, whether it's American or otherwise they pick them up. And the way they're disseminated, it says U S person, but you can figure out it's Tucker Carlson. And then they sit around and, and, you know, worry over this and they finally say, all right, let's, let's go brief Congress on this. Cause we have to, we're obligated to, and that's normally what happens, but, a conspiracy on the part of the intelligence community, you know, I mean, the only conspiracies they really engage in is when they've made a mistake is to cover them up. And that's typical to protect the institution. Oh, we made a mistake. Let's, let's you know, feed stuff to Congress that makes us not look so bad. That's what happens. But never to to change American foreign policy. It just It doesn't happen.
0: Well, Robert Baer, I thank you for joining us. I appreciate it. Thank you. And again, I've been speaking with Robert Baer, one of the most accomplished agents in CIA history and the winner of the Career Intelligence Medal. He's the author of four New York Times bestsellers, including Sleeping with the Devil, How Washington Sold Our Soul for Saudi Crude. And he's considered one of the world's foremost authorities on the Middle East and is an intelligence and national security affairs analyst for CNN And his latest book is The Fourth Man, The Hunt for a KGB Spy at the Top of the CIA, and The Rise of Putin's Russia. This has been Background Briefing. I'm Ian Masters. I'd like to thank producer Graham Fitzgibbon, and this program is available for podcasting at backgroundbriefing.org, where you can sign up for our email updates, as well as subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this program, you can help us reach more listeners by taking a moment to rate and review us on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please do share the program with friends and family and colleagues on Twitter and Facebook. And I'll be back again tomorrow with another background briefing. Bye for now.